Hi, this is Terry Farrell, and you are listening to Women at Warp. Welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name's Jera, and thanks for tuning in. Today with us, we have crew members Grace. Hey, everybody. And Sue. Hello. And we also have a special guest, Sarah Goldie. Hi, everyone. Welcome, Sarah. Hi, thanks for having me today. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, before we get started, can you tell our audience a little bit just about who you are and how you got interested in Star Trek? Sure. Well, I started watching Star Trek in 1987 when TNG came on the air, but Deep Space Nine is my favorite. And I've been going <laughs> to Star Trek Las Vegas the last couple of years, and that's where I've gotten to know you folks. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So before we get into our main topic, which is DS9 related, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do first. Our show is entirely supported by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as $1 a month and get awesome rewards from thanks on social media up to silly watch-along commentaries. Visit patreon.com slash women at warp. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We have uh, one item, at least, that I know of, of other housekeeping, which is that we are um, picking our next book club selection. Mm-hmm. You, If you have ideas for our book club, which what we should read, um, hop on over to our Goodreads group. Just search under the groups Women at Warp on goodreads.com. Um, but for our next book, we will be doing the book Letters to Star Trek by Susan Sackett. Well, compiled by Susan Sackett, who was uh, secretary for Gene Roddenberry. And it is unfortunately not available as an ebook, but it, it used copies are pretty easy to come by on the interweb. So um, hope you can can join us for that discussion. Any other housekeeping? I think we're all out of cons for the time being. Well, let's get right into our main topic then, which is the character Jedzia Dax from Deep Space Nine, played by the lovely and amazing Terry Farrell. And uh, so let's uh, let's start out with maybe some discussion of first impressions. Um, and then we'll look a little bit at the background of the character and a little bit of some of, you know, the highlights. Um, we had a lot of great comments from our listeners on Facebook and Twitter this week. Um, so we'll share some of those. Um, but first of all, anyone would like to start with a first impression of Jadzia Dax? Well, she was so zen when she first appeared. Did you watch right from the beginning, Sarah? Yeah, I did. Yeah, so she was really zen in the first couple episodes, and then it, she finally got more of a... a exuberant personality as time went on. Mm-hmm. It's none too shabby, honestly. Um, I remember I watched a lot of Star Trek out of order initially, so I I hadn't seen the tri- first Trill episode on TNG. So when she shows up and she's just this beautiful, graceful, kind of charismatic lady who this this weird crumb bum doctor is hitting on and then her friend is like, yeah, he doesn't know you, you're like a 400-year-old old guy, does he? And she's like, nope. I was just like, oh my god, that's great. I love it. <laughs> what an intro. That that scene alone just is such a great uh, introduction to the character of her being totally zen about how weird her life pretty much is and just rolling with it and being like, yep, it is what it is. When the show first started airing, uh, Jadzia was definitely the character that I was drawn to the most, probably because science officer for me. <laughs> but uh, it was interesting to see 
how she changed and how they decided to change her character over the years. Mm-hmm. I was reading um, some stuff in the 50-year mission, the the compilation of quotes about the, the series or the franchise, that uh, Terry Farrell was a Star Trek fan from the time she was a little kid and would, like, play Star Trek outside with her friends. So Aww. had – I know, right? <laughs> so she had this idea of, like, Spock as the science officer. So you can kind of infer that that's where some of that Zen attitude came in season one. And oh, then totally. the producers told her, we're going to make you a little more roguish next year. And that's when all of the stuff with the Klingon started. You got to admit, roguish and Zen is kind of a fun combo for a character. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it definitely had some challenges. A lot of the stuff I was reading sort of talked about um, how she changed around the time that Iris Stephen Bear took over um, from being like science Dax to action Dax or like Robert Hewitt Wolf talks about um, in 50 Year Mission says she's much more fun as the lovable rogue than she is as the Zen master scientist, which is interesting because we've talked about lovable rogues and none of us thought of like Dax in that list. (laughs) None of us are really that fond of most of the characters that they try to do lovable rogue with, honestly. That's kind of the track record there, isn't it? (laughs) She is no outrageous O'Connor. She's no Harry (laughs) Mudd. Thank God. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, like I started watching around season four, so, or season five even. So I missed all of the beginning, um, until more recently. And then going back, it is kind of, you can kind of see the, the struggle it for, I, she almost feels like Troy in some of the ways that they wrote for Troy, where it's like, hmm, we don't really know what to do with her this episode. Let's like make her fall in love with a guy on a planet that disappears. And, like, stuff like that. There's, like, some weird episodes in the beginning there that she actually, even though she's, like, the supposedly the main actor, doesn't actually have a lot to do. But it is cool to see her doing science. It just seems like there's something missing until later on. Well, she definitely does have a lot in common with Troy in the sense that one of her main strengths, uh, interpersonal-wise, is that she's... um, She's really people smart. She's really good at interacting with people and knowing what they're about. And that's a skill that Troy was definitely supposed to have, but that they seem to struggle with a little bit every now and then writing wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the, the, what we left behind the Deep Space Nine documentary, there's um, a part where Terry Farrell's interviewed and says, my character wasn't clearly defined. I remember Rick Berman telling me I needed to be more like Yoda and then coming up another week and telling me I needed to be more like Grace Kelly. And, but basically also says that like it was really hard as a young quote, like nice girl from Iowa to channel a 300 year old androgynous alien. <laughs> I love the idea of somehow mashing together Grace Kelly and Yoda, though. I raised in the Hamptons, I was. (laughs) Well, they also gave her a lot of contradictions. And I think that, you know, a Trill is the character that can get away with that possibly the most. But Mm -hmm. um, one week we'd see her like strong and kick ass and, you know, fighting for the, the rights of the oppressed. And then the next week we'd see her in this sort of like, problematic one of the boys tropes sort of like mm-hmm. excusing the mm-hmm. the misogyny of the ferengi you know once you get to know them it's fine yeah so it's, it and it's hard to to reconcile that week to week i love though that she did have a lot of contra- uh, contradictions because it makes me feel better that someone her age still doesn't have everything figured out hmm. yes that's so comforting to see 
Um, I do have to mention in the background, well, we talk about the background that they, um, there's a lot of comments in the 50 year mission and in captain's logs, um, where, uh, Rick Berman and Michael Pillar talk about how hard it was to cast the role. And, um, because of the duality of it being like, uh, you know, a, a young woman, but with all of this experience inside of her. And, uh, there's this, uh, you know, quote from Rick Berman. It's the most difficult role to cast is always a beautiful girl. Beautiful women are so few and far between. And to find one who can act and doesn't want to bypass television to go into the movies is very difficult since there are so very few of them. Really? Fortunately, we found Terry. Um, and obviously they were very preoccupied with how she looked because they changed the whole look of, of trills because they thought that it didn't show off how attractive she was enough. Right. So it's worth just worth noting. Yeah. And as far as the um, early iterations of the character, I remember reading somewhere that at one point, um, Dax as a character was in talks to be the species that Melora is, that is able to like get up and float around the room if they have the gravity turned off, but that was too expensive for them to do. Mm. I think that was just a rumor I heard somewhere, but that would have made for a pretty interesting albeit really expensive character concept right there yeah i've heard that as well yeah well then they kind of gave the face bumps to melora yeah so let's um let's talk about some early episodes um like pre we'll talk pre-warf i feel like we can kind of <laughs> divide divide dax or like maybe pre um blood oath at least mm. um although there's certainly a few episodes at post blood oath pre-warf that are you know, go back into the way that Dex was before. We have uh, any any comments on some of those those early episodes? Anyone that people want to single out? Well, I mean, Dax itself is so early on. Mm-hmm. It's like the it's like, like the second it's or third in the first episode. ten episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it tries to give us more about the trill because all we've had before this point is the host in TNG. Mm-hmm. It, it's just, it's such a confusing culture that they present to us, which again, with again, so many contradictions mm-hmm. that it, it draws us in, but we want to know more. Um, but it does also lay the groundwork for later on about how do these joined beings deal with relationships when they change hosts or deal with past acts or deal with just any sort of, of history of theirs. So it, it feels like the symbiont has, is forced to start over, as it were, um, every time they change hosts. Or maybe it's not a force to start over. Maybe it's a get to start over. I don't know. There are just a lot of, uh, inconsistencies in trill culture from the get go, kind of, though, aren't there? Mm-hmm. But that's had, um, a lot of Deep Space Nine's strength as a, sort of storytelling as a series comes from the fact that it starts out with complicated characters and then lets them kind of evolve over time, like changes their initial concepts. Um, One of my favorite examples being um, uh, Dr. Bashir starting out as kind of a toolbox Mm. and then rather than the writer saying, what's wrong with the audience? Why don't they like Bashir? Saying, we need to change Bashir. Mm Mm-hmm. And adjusting the character as needed and giving them uh, extra dimension and growth, but uh, which we definitely got to see with the character of Dax. But the more they try and add on to troll culture, the more just kind of convoluted it gets. 
it feels like they just didn't yeah. spend a lot of time fleshing out like what are the role of hosts and symbionts in, in chill society yeah, that's it right there because yeah dax like asks the question the, the episode dax asks the question but it never answers it it just kind of gives them an out mm-hmm. at the end where they don't have to answer the question is dax responsible for previous host crimes um mm-hmm. or like it it weirded me out later on. Um, I was thinking about the episode Blood Oath, where she runs off with the Cleons to commit some crimes. Um, Let's go do crime with Cleons. Yeah, and I was like, you know, they go on and on about how symbionts are such an important cultural resource, but then she has an amazing amount of freedom to run off and do whatever she wants and put that symbiont in danger. That's a great point. Yeah. I think it could have been interesting to explore, like, what limits they might place on her that she would push up against. Yeah, that's a really good point. That comes back around and rejoined then, too, because mm-hmm. if two symbionts are, are shunned or two trill are shunned for getting back together with their former hosts, new hosts, it's complicated. Um, if that's true in that society, then they are willing to shun to exile two symbionts because they broke this taboo. Yeah, and um, I mean, I just, before we started recording, just watched Equilibrium, which I think is actually one of the stronger early Dax episodes, at least at the beginning, and um, which is the one where she uh, starts uh, surfacing the repressed memories of the host that was a killer. Mm. That's the one where they basically find out that the Trill Society is lying to the people about how many people could actually be joined because there aren't enough symbionts to go around. And so they've like invented this elaborate system of control to make people feel like if you're not good enough, you you wouldn't be able to be joined with a symbiont anyway. Okay, so what we established here is that being a joint trill, awesome. Being a member of trill society, really messed up. <laughs> they don't really seem to have it together for a species that has that much collective uh, generational spanning knowledge. Well, it's really interesting They, you know, that for, in some ways, they're almost like a little bit like the changelings, like sending the symbionts and different people all around the galaxy. And like each new host has to prove that they're going to bring something to it. Um, it's sort of like a way of exploring and broadening. But then when you actually examine Troll Society, they have all these weird insular rules. What is their deal? But yeah, it's interesting. And I mean, there's so many episodes that have to do with like the, the role of symbiosis. Like there's the one where the, the person tries to come and steal the symbiont. Uh, there's playing God where she's, uh, coaching the, uh, initiate and trying to figure out how hard on him she should be. Um, and some of them are, are more successful episodes than others. Um, but it, it, we actually do find out like a fair amount about symbiosis and trail society through the first few seasons of ds9 and then they just get tired of it i guess gotta say like in the first in those first like three seasons i don't know if anyone would disagree with me but i think meridian's got to be the worst episode of those gosh it is so boring (laughs) oh man you don't just fall in love with a dude because he asks how far your spots go down Dude, also, you don't just ask people that. Yeah. I mean, there there was a woman who was involved in the story writing, but it it feels like an episode that was written by dudes trying to figure out how women fall in love with dudes. This is how women enjoy the romance, yes? Yes. <laughs> like, oh, please come climb this tree with me. Are you scared of heights? We have written this episode for the females. 
You want to kiss me now, yes. <laughs> Our love cannot be. It must be this way for sake of formula. But yeah, I mean, luckily we have some some good. Uh, Blood Oath is really good. Um, Rejoined, obviously, we've we've talked a lot about both of those episodes. But did anyone want to throw out some some highlights from those or other episodes pre pre Wharf time? I mean, Facets was just fun to see all the actors get to play those different parts. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone uh, on our Twitter, uh, sorry, I can't find the name right offhand, but highlighted was like, oh, when when Quirk is like brushing her hair. <laughs> uh, although also pointed out that she has to give him Umox to talk him into it. Yeah, in front of all of their friends, also. Yeah. Uh, Umox in and of itself has got such a weird thing with it, story-wise. Yeah. I think we may have talked about it a bit in a mailbag Mm -hmm. episode, but it is is weird. does sound like something we would start talking about a lot. So, enter Worf and the Defiant. And Iris Stephen Bear kind of taking over more of the actual show running of Deep Space Nine. Please, please take us there. Um, although, actually, you know, before we get to that, I think um, there's a couple little points uh, to maybe discuss. So, sorry, don't enter Worf yet. Back up the step. <laughs> put him, put him away. So, be- be- pre-Worf, we get Mirror Dax, Mirror Jadzia. Pre-Worf and pre-Warp go together. Yes, we also get Jadzia as Doctor Honeybear mm-hmm. in the uh, the Bond episodes. Oh my gosh! Uh, yeah, thoughts on either of those representations? It looked like she was just having fun playing a Bond girl. Uh, like Terry Farrell was having fun with that. It looked like, but that again, I think just the whole episode was it. Yeah, I think Mir Jedzia is unfortunate though, and we've talked about this a bit in our Mir Universe episodes. But in addition to the fact that Prime Cisco sleeps with her under false pretenses, mm-hmm. messed up. Um, she also pretty much doesn't get to do anything other than punch him once. So she she's kind of like left behind on the missions and she doesn't really get to show up again or make much of an impression. Also, what an underutilized character to have fun with in the Mirror Universe, right? Yeah. I think she'd be the one that they would get like insanely creative with. Mm-hmm. Eight lifetimes of crime. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Like, what are the trail like in the mirror universe? We, we really don't know. That would have been really fun to explore, and it's just such a missed opportunity. But um, also, we did get to see from very early on um, Dax being pretty openly sexual, which it was kind of awesome. And uh, we had a comment from listener Stephanie. Grace, do you want to read that one? Yeah, let me just bring it up real quick. Stephanie says, I really enjoyed how Dax loved being a beautiful, playful woman and embraced sexuality and had fun with it. Somehow, her portrayal was very unique. She didn't use it to dominate, e.g. Intendant Kira, but just enjoyed it. It was refreshing, which is definitely a fair point. We don't get to see a lot of women who are just openly sexual without getting, you know, the slut-shaming treatment. She just enjoys sex and enjoys relationships with other people, Mm -hmm. which is rad as hell. Yeah, like, I watched... um playing god the one with the initiate where he is basically like super judging her for uh like wrestling with this alien dude and then probably sleeping with him and playing tonga with the ferengi and basically says like you're a terrible example of the values of a ideal host and it kind of seems like she got some of that stuff from Curzon or from some of the previous hosts that like before she was joined she wasn't like Mm -hmm. that but she doesn't apologize for it and there's really like 
no reason that she should have to and it's kind of awesome like we also see jadzia being one of the most open-minded of the deep space nine crew like consistently and the one that always comes back to mind for me is rules of acquisition with pell yes where you know she's sitting with pell and she says i know your secret you're in love with Worf, and it doesn't even occur to her that you know pell is in boy drag Right, <laughs> that this is actually a woman, and this is a hetero crush, but she's just like that. Either way, Dax is just so there for it. Right, either way, she's like you're in love with Quark, and it doesn't matter what your gender is. You're in love with Quark, and it to to finally have a character on screen, but also still in the '90s, who was yeah. just like yeah, whatever. It was kind of lovely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so much with um, Dax, we get that whole recurrent thing of uh, masculine traits and a female character and vice versa. And just being like, yeah, I'm all these things mixed together. That's just how I am. And that's how that's part of my existence. And that's really cool. And we have had a lot of people, um, well, multiple people before say that with Dax, they really see sort of a gender fluid, uh, transgender character represented there. And that that has meant a lot to a lot of people. But um, one thing I also, if I can bring it back a little bit to early Dax and talking about them using her as a means to bring her into this kind of boys club thing and uh, act as someone excusing their sort of problematic behavior. A few years back, I want to say it was Autostraddle that put out an article about uh, various depictions of trans women on TV throughout the years and how there's this recurrent theme with early quote-unquote positive portrayals of them being brought in to be like, no, I'm a woman, but I'm just one of the guys, and I'm going to be here and just laugh at all of the jokes you make about my existence, which is very complicated, and that's the happy ending we get in this story. And going back and looking at some of those sort of Dax episodes of being like, oh, when I was a woman, um, or when I was a man sort of situations, I can't help but be reminded of that a little bit. Hmm. for good or for bad yeah one of the nicest comments i think we had on our facebook was from lydia who said my favorite thing about dax is how she makes my trans friends feel seen loved accepted and in a way represented and we had a nice article on our blog too by Alyssa harris about how dax helped her while she was transitioning gender i think that's one of the nice things about star trek in general is how even when they didn't intend their characters to be representative of certain groups of people Certain groups of people feel represented by them, and that's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Now we enter Worf. <laughs> let's let's talk Jedzia and Worf. I really dig Jedzia and Worf. I just, uh, I mean, we we see Worf. You know, we we know Worf from Next Gen, and it's like human women women can't handle Klingon men, and like <laughs> you know, he says that a few times. But I, we, we get this relationship with Dax where she doesn't have to, like, make herself more feminine. She can retain mm-hmm. those masculine qualities that we've seen her have. And it's no big thing. I don't know if it's because she's with the Klingon. Maybe. Maybe that's what's going through the writer's heads. But we don't, we don't see her change for this relationship. And that's what I really love about it. Now, if anything, we see Worf kind of have to change for it, which Mm -hmm. is interesting because we've got this character who, um, you know, has lived a bunch of lifetimes and 
feels no judgment, feels no pressure to conform to a certain way versus this character who's the born again Klingon who's kind of got a stick of his up his butt. And that makes them quite the pair. And that makes a lot their relationship just in and of itself interesting. It's like Dharma and Greg in space, but not terrible. <laughs> are you are you a fan of Worf and Jedzia, Sarah? Yeah, I kind of like how um, the episode, Let He Who Is Without Sin, you kind of see where mm-hmm. Worf needs a Jedzia in his life. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, because otherwise he's going to go off with the no fun police. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Worf is the no fun police. Let's be honest here. <laughs> Yeah, we had a a tweet from La Traviata who said, I also really appreciate how uncompromisingly she stands up for herself and takes no bullshit, especially during the rougher patches of her relationship with Worf. Don't get me wrong, but I love the two of them together, but he had some major control issues, and the way she called him out on it while always steering him toward better communication set such a positive example for me as I tried to navigate the dating world myself. Oh, totally. So. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's in that episode where she says you have to accept there are some things you can't control. And one of them is me because he's being super jealous about her uh, having sexy sculpture time with Vanessa Williams. (laughs) (laughs) And who wouldn't, honestly? Uh, Oh, Worf. Um, I also watched uh, recently the um, Sword of Kaelas, the one where they go off with uh, Kor. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark episode. Klingons to the Lost Ark. And then uh, it's also sort of like the ring because the the thing corrupts you if you hold it. And uh, the uh, and Kor and Worf start basically being willing to kill each other because they think each of them would be the better ruler of the Empire. And man, if Dax had not been there, they would have been in trouble because yeah. she was just basically the one being like, you guys are both being, this is nonsense. I had enough through toxic masculinity. Oh, Dax. But shortly after they got married on the show, uh, I was at a convention that had Terry Farrell and Michael Dorn together on stage. And they loved it. You know, they loved <laughs> working together. They loved bantering in person. They loved, like, playing to the crowd together. And it was just... I don't remember any specifics because it was 20 some years ago, but it, I remember how much fun we were having and how much fun they were having at the same time. Mm. And um, I was at Star Trek Las Vegas, I think. Um, when was the 25th anniversary of DS9? Was it three years ago? Oh, sorry, the 20th. So then five five years years ago. ago. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Okay, anyway, I was at the convention where Michael Westmore did her makeup up, and then um, she got into the the Klingon wedding dress, and she was, like, crying, and everyone in the audience was crying, and it was so beautiful. (laughs) (sighs) We, Sudi, do you want to read the comment we had from Justin on the relationship? It's under looking for Parmok in all the wrong places. Yes, so Justin wrote... I like the fact that she pursued Worf and not the other way around. Far too often in fiction, the strong, dominant man courts the passive and rather weak woman. Jadzia knew what she wanted, and she went after it. Word. And I love it. And Dax is the perfect character to have kind of subvert that idea that um, even in the future, when we're supposedly past racism, sexism, and all these social ills, the guy still has to make the first move. Because that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And Dax would absolutely know that. Yeah, and it's nice that, like, we, we've we got Dax and Kira, like, two women who are both 
super strong and go after what they want. Yeah. I think it's a great setup for the rest of the relationship when, um, you know, just when Worf is trying to be all traditional and court a Klingon woman, Dax's like, nope. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think she does a lot of that in the shows, like kind of disrupt his habit of just falling into traditional Klingon ways and not thinking for himself. Mm-hmm. She really does as a character kind of force him to say, but why do you need to do this? What are you trying to prove here? And why don't you smell like lilac? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, babe, let's go hunt some targs together as a couple. Do you think Morph smells good? <laughs> I mean, that's that's that whole scene. <laughs> Just next time he walks in, say, is that lilac? <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Forgot that one. <laughs> Does this does this mean we all have to set up our headcanon of what Worf actually smells like? Yes. <laughs> I am going to guess it's that really ineffective but totally marketed as macho cologne. You know, like the kind with the cowboy on the bottle. Oh, boy. <laughs> See, I think he's got to be using some pretty great hair products. No doubt. Yeah. <laughs> Those generally smell good. Yeah. Let he who is without sin. Oh, sorry. Um, not that. Uh, you are cordial invited is an interesting episode where she's dealing with Martok's wife. Mm. And other than Cisco like yelling at her about how she needs to be more compromising because she's had more experience than Worf, I really dig that episode. Yeah. It's also got one of the most fun bachelorette parties I've ever seen on oh TV. Oh my gosh, that dance is amazing. Just that party looks amazing. But like if if dancing was that, I could do it. <laughs> says it doesn't. I keep trying to get Aaron to do the Frangie dance with me and he won't do it. <gasps> Yes, we, okay, campaign to make Aaron Eisenberg do the Frankie dance with people. <laughs> We'd like, maybe like donate for a cause or something. Maybe <laughs> we could get him to do that. That would be awesome. I have a new project. Uh, so we have some, before we get to like sort of the end of Dax, because that is sad, let's focus on some more of the highlights that other people raised or that we haven't talked about yet. One that I would probably, I would throw out there would be Trials and Tribulations. Oh my gosh. You, you also know that Terry Farrell loved doing that as an original series fan. Mm-hmm. So cute. And, and the to crush on Spock was some pretty funny foreshadowing there. Yeah. And McCoy, he had the hands of a surgeon. <laughs> that was definitely, I, I think, a really fun moment for her, which is probably why they made like three action figures of Trials and Tribulations decks. <laughs> and I have all of them. Well, also, she looked fantastic. So, any other highlights that people want to raise? And maybe we can read some of these other listener comments. If I can bring just kind of one up. And um, one of the things I always kind of liked about Dax is that she always had this kind of mischief, mischievous attitude to her. There's always this kind of twinkle in her eyes that's super fun. And I think one of my favorite things about getting to meet Terry Farrell at Star Trek Las Vegas was getting to chat her up and be like, oh, that's just Terry. That's Terry bringing that. That isn't the character. That's what she injects into the character. And it was so cool to get to see that in action and realize that. Yeah, she's a really like warm and open person and oh my God, she's um, hilarious. just lovely to spend time with. Yes. She always seems Super like she's funny. having fun at the convention. Like not all the oh, actors do, I but she know. always does. Yeah. We've got still, we're always going to have that great memory of the time we were all walking down the hallway together when it was uh, the entire crew and me trying to get people's attention to be like, this is Terry Farrell, this is Terry Farrell as she walks by and then I can't remember, was it Sue or Andy who realized it right when she went by and went, <gasps> Yeah. 
so hard that she turned around and just started cracking up. And then um, we were wearing our women's places on the bridge shirt. And she asked if she could take a photo of us wearing the shirts. And she made it her cover on Twitter. And that was like my highlight of my life. (laughs) That was my (laughs) ultimate FOMO of my life that I missed out on that photo op. The the overall impression I've always gotten from Dax is that she understands the gravity of a situation. Like she's not going to blow something off that's important. Mm. But she also knows that not to take life too seriously. That like the Mm -hmm. things that are huge stressors for the other members of the crew. She's just like, I've seen worse. It'll be fine. Everything always Mm -hmm. works out in the end. And that I, I mean, the impression is that that comes with the, 300 400 years of experience <laughs> but <laughs> mm-hmm. it's it's a nice thing to see that you know your science officer and someone who is so composed all the time is also like rarely the one who is in like the panicky worried state when something goes wrong unless you're scotty because <laughs> engineering is a science yeah i mean she has that quote in your quarterly invited about how she still leads with her heart Mm -hmm. and you can see that throughout the entire series even from the very beginning when they were struggling a little bit with how to write her and she was struggling a bit with how to play it you can see examples of where she's just like well this is what feels right so i'm gonna go for it um we had a comment from murray who said maybe my favorite moment is in the quickening where she tells off Bashir for his arrogance and assuming that since he can't cure the disease no one can it's hard to imagine it working in the mouth of another character since Jadzia often had this big sisterish quality able to much to give much needed advice without seeming cruel it's true and she's such a perfect foil in that episode um which is pretty much deconstructing an entire star trek uh, trope there of being like we can just wander into any situation and assume that we are the ones who can fix it which is um which is a tr- definitely a troublesome trope and Bashir is a good character to play that with and then Dax is the perfect character to be the one to bring it down to earth and again bring in that whole I have seen some pretty horrible things before this is not great but I am not going to lose my cool over it mm-hmm One thing we haven't talked a lot about is her relationship with Kira, and we had a good comment from Leanna. Sue, did you maybe want to read that? Leanna wrote, I would also be remiss if I didn't mention my love for Jadzia in The Siege. She and Kira get some hilarious dialogue while trying to get the Bajoran Raider to fly. Seat of the Pants technology. The discussion about eating Paluku? It was Paluku. 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 Okay. The discussion about eating Paluku. Later, she shows up disguised as a Bajoran Vedic and cracks a joke about wanting to keep the nose. You have to love a woman who can joke in the middle of a coup. Yeah, I friendship her and Kira so hard. I just love the what the the dynamic they have. <laughs> I like the scenes where they're just like chatting in a turbo lift about like a date with Captain Baudet or something. Mm-hmm. Or whether you've ever had a moment of perfect clarity. I think it was just nice being in my teenage years and seeing a healthy female friendship. I know. They've got such a healthy female friendship. It's great. There's no rivalry. Yeah. I wish they got to go on more missions because that episode was that those scenes in the siege are really fun. And I wish we had got to see more of them doing right. missions together. There were a couple more examples, but it would have just been so awesome. Well, and just the fact that they both tended to be in ops meant mm-hmm. we got them together so much more than we ever did with Crusher and Troy on yeah. Next Gen. And they also, you know, went off in the holodeck mm-hmm. and Camelotted it up. And she's always basically trying to get Kira to be a little bit less serious. 
She's almost like playing like a Guinan role to Kira's role. She is her, she is her old, cool older sister. And I do still love the bit of her being like, I was playing a married woman. You were Guinevere and he was Lancelot. <laughs> it's romantic. <laughs> I talked to Nana Visitor once about their friendship. And the thing she said was that um, she wished there had been more of it. And instead they tended to focus on Bashir and Garrick and yeah. their friendship. Mm-hmm. And Bashir and O'Brien. Yeah, we had a couple comments along those lines, like if only they had developed that as much as they had developed uh, Bashir and O'Brien. Mm. But we can, we, that's what we have fan fiction and things for. Yeah, we just see this weird cultural uh, lower prioritizing of female friendships, I guess. Um, Chris F. also pointed out that it was cool to see Jedzia be the captain of the Defiant while Sisko was assigned as the Admiral's adjutant during the war. He says, you can tell she was ready to step in and be the captain of the ship without a moment's hesitation, and the crew accepted her as a captain and leader. Even as Jedzia was a scientist by specialty, she was a natural leader when needed. Very true. Absolutely. I always liked getting to see Kira Ordax in that captain's chair. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we will end on a happy note, I promise, but we have to get through the uh, Mm -hmm. change of heart. And, well, change of heart isn't the same, but Tears of the Prophets. Sorry, guys. And then, uh, and then we'll maybe finish up by looking at again some more of um, just the overall thoughts about why Dex is awesome, and maybe uh, also like how she could have been brought back. What? Yeah, there are ways that could have happened. All right. At the very end of uh, Terry Farrell's time on the show, we had um, well, we had change of heart. Um, the episode where Worf has to decide whether he's going to save her life or not. Um, that was an interesting one more i guess a wharf conflict episode um they just can't stop throwing women in for wharf to have conflict over (laughs) oh man poor wharf yeah yeah and then of course tears of the prophets they've decided they want to have a baby she's decided she wants to go pray that they can have a baby because it's hard because their genes and stuff are all alieny and uh then she gets killed by galducott and says that their baby would have been so beautiful. Uh, why would you do this to us as an audience? It's just the the biggest complaint that I always hear about this is that it's such a meaningless death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, slightly better than uh, Yar in the mud monster, but not by much. Mm-hmm. It's just such a freaking red shirt death, man. It's ridiculous for this character that has already that they've put so much time and energy into showing us as meaningful and having meaning to the audience and to the other characters to just they did her dirty they totally did her dirty so just question just popped my mind if she was leaving the show anyways how would you have liked to see her leave fly off in a space rv with wharf made out of gold (laughs) saying well i'm off to be queen of trill well i mean she had wanted to do fewer episodes um and uh in 50 year mission uh terry farrell says that the problems with my leaving were with rick berman in my opinion he's just very misogynistic And she talks about how he would comment on your bra size not being voluptuous, which I will say that this entire thing is very interesting in a Me Too era to look at. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And how this might have happened differently. Um, But 
um, he talks, or uh, Terry Farrell talks about an incident where um, he would compare her breasts with his secretary's breasts and uh, that she had to get have a fitting for a mastectomy bra to make her breasts look bigger and uh, that she just basically felt awful and she asked for a few episodes and they refused and um you know to be fair rick berman says that's all of this is 100 percent untrue except for you know that yes this, of course the studio wouldn't give her fewer episodes she's a star and she has to be in all of them so i mean i would have liked to see her in if she was just going to be in fewer episodes i think that could have been accommodated there was a lot of stuff going on in season seven and she didn't have to be in all the episodes. Yeah, no I mean, she could have just been dealing with the pregnancy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even though, you know, because she was so developed before this, I could have been more developed, but like she was, she had a lot um, of um, depth and power and a lot of resonance with fans. You can't really call it a fridging, but it's almost fridging yeah. because it's Ducat, who's like Cisco's nemesis. And it has like massive repercussions for mostly Cisco and Worf. And that's, like the only purpose in the plot after she dies is to drive the angst of Cisco and, and Worf. It's like she could have at least died like saving the station or saving Bajor or something like that. Right? Yeah. Did her dirty. Yeah, praying about her baby is sad and way to go that didn't let her have any agency. Mm-hmm. Or maybe like the pregnancy could have conflicted with the symbiont and there could have been like a medical con- well, I don't know that that would have been much better, but you know, something... We're not the writers here. They're the writers. This is their job. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, very uh, disappointing and upsetting that that happened. And it was... Um, yeah, I think uh, a lot of us were very sad about it. <laughs> but thoughts on how she could have been brought back? Maybe? I mean, it is a sci-fi show, so... She ends up in one of those Weiyun cloning stations... And then she has to mentor Esri as the next keeper of the Dax symbiote. <laughs> nice. See, it could have been a whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I thought, like, at least she could have been a hologram. You could have brought her, like, maybe they memorialize her in- at Vix. <laughs> why, didn't th- why didn't she get to be Vic? That would have been awesome. This is assuming that Terry would have come back. Oh, yeah. No, I just mean, like, if things had been good or if there had been, like, a season eight... This is our what yeah. if situation mm-hmm. here. So maybe like Cisco comes back after season eight and brings Dax with him or brings Jadzia with him. Yes. <laughs> yes. That would be awesome. Yeah. I mean, she could have also been like among the prophets that Cisco sees and stuff. Yeah. They can bring back Cisco's dead wife every time they need to, but they couldn't bring back Terry Farrell. I call bullshit. If Jadzia were with the prophets, but we know that Dax is now in Esri. Would the Jadzia that came back with Cisco in this hypothetical eighth season be the same character? Oh, good question. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the prophets are basically magic, so could go either way. <laughs> We're not going to question their god magic. <laughs> Questioning that leads to getting Nurse Ratchet all up in your biz. That is a really good question, though. I mean, obviously, we're just thinking of hypotheticals that would have been happier yeah. than what actually happened. But yeah. We're allowed to dream. All right. Well, um, we have a couple more listener comments of just overall Dax awesomeness, and then maybe we'll do some final thoughts. Yeah. Does anyone have anything they want to add before we move into that? Well, I have a question for Sarah. Okay. I know that um, back when they were recording fan interviews for uh, What We Left Behind, that 
you spoke at Star Trek Las Vegas about what Dax meant to you and also that Terry Farrell was in the room. I was wondering if you'd share that story for us on the podcast. Sure. Well, actually, I was really late to show up for the confessional tapings and they actually extended it because there was nothing in the theater afterwards. So I got lucky and I got in. And because I was late, I did not realize Terry Farrell was sitting right in front of me while I taped it, um, which is good because I probably would have been too, ner too nervous to say anything. Um, so, yeah, I talked about how um, the show was really important for me to be seeing during my teenage years because it had characters like Jadzia who did all of these things that she wanted to do regardless of gender roles. And she had these so many different relationships on the station. This is a little more than I got to got into in the confessional, but. Like her relationship with Cisco was so different than her relationship with Kira than it was with Quark and so on. And so I still haven't seen the documentary yet, so I don't know how it turned out. But afterwards, my friends pointed her out to me and said, she's right there. And she walked, watched you walk past her. So I got to go back and shake her hand. She was really sweet. And it was a really great experience. And I can't wait to see how the documentary turns out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. I just watched that clip on like the backers video vault. So there's some clips available there, but the full video isn't out yet. I'm looking forward to it. Grace, did you want to read the comment from Julia under the general listener comments? I would love to. And Julia says, I love the way her character and trails in general are such a creative metaphor for the kind of confidence, self-embodiment, and agency that comes from a society that encourages women to trust themselves and their experiences. Well said. Yeah. Uh, Tiffany says, I love her passion for science, how she's always capable and doesn't hesitate to state her point. As a woman in engineering myself, those aren't the easiest things to accomplish. So I think that Jedzia Dax meant a lot to a lot of fans and still does. And um, it is, we, are, we were very lucky to have her even for the six seasons and, you know, wish that it could have ended differently, but we'll... Uh, look back at those uh, episodes that she was in mostly very fondly. Yeah. Any final thoughts from you, Grace? Dax, 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 Dax. If we could have a character like Dax on every sci-fi show, even just a fraction of the level of fully realized character there that we don't get to usually see with women characters, much less characters that you could consider gender fluid or transgender, we... We would live in such a different pop culture world right now. Mm -hmm. And I think about that a lot, that this character came up in the 90s and is still just so one of a kind. Mm -hmm. Sue? Just so we're all aware, 2018 is the year that the Dax symbiont is born. Aww. So happy birthday, Dax. Happy yeah. birthday, Dax. <laughs> but also, I keep thinking about the the meme that's now going around with the, the screen cap of Jadzia meeting up with one of the Klingons in Blood Oath, who says, Curzon, my old friend. And she says, my name's Jadzia now. And he says, well, Jadzia, my old friend. And the, the caption is, if this drunk Klingon can accept that his old friend is a woman now, then you can use your friend's correct pronouns, friend or family member's correct pronouns. Respect pronouns, it's important. And it's just, it feels so right to me that, like, that has become part of this character's legacy because yeah. it's what she was all about. Agreed. Any final thoughts from you, Sarah? So Jadzia has been my favorite Star Trek character. Um, and then I think regardless of problems and how she was written, it's so wonderful to have a character on TV who was smart and talented and did what she wanted but still had her flaws, too. And 
yeah, and I, I love that Terry Farrell really embraced the character and loved playing her and loved what she stood for in the LGBT community. So, yeah, I'm just so glad she was a part of our Star Trek experience. Me too. Me three. Yeah. And um, like I said, we, we have done full episodes on Rejoined and on Blood Oath. Uh, so, I, uh, you know, if you feel like those were the most awesome episodes, which they're pretty awesome, and we, we didn't get super in-depth because we've already covered them, but you should go back and take a listen to those episodes for more Dax love for two of her, or I think, her best episodes. So without further ado, Grace, where can people find you elsewhere on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at BoneCrusherJank and probably in a dumpster somewhere. And Sue? <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Spaltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. And thanks again so much to Sarah for joining us. Where can people find you elsewhere on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Sarah Miyoko, S-A-R-A-H, M as in Mary, I-Y-O-K-O. Awesome. And I'm Jarrah, and you can find me on Twitter at Jarrah Penguin. That's J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin. Or in a pool with a bunch of slugs <laughs> that carry people's memories. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, if you'd like to reach us, we always love to hear from you at crew at women at warp.com, or you can comment on Facebook or Twitter at women at warp or Instagram at women at warp or on our website, women at warp.com. And for more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, please visit podcast.roddenberry.com. She's got a worm in her belly. Thanks so much for listening. The Roddenberry Podcast Network. Podcast.roddenberry.com.